Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Sunday, December the 10th, 2023, although it's Monday in Korea, Monday in Asia. We live in strange times. On the one hand, we seem to be inventing technologies which are smarter than ourselves, or at least somehow capture all our intelligence and, and might potentially outsmart us. On the other hand, we are um, learning more and more about ourselves, particularly our brains, and how perhaps those are unique things. Uh, we've had uh, neuroscientists on the show who have suggested that the human brain is the most complex thing in the universe. It's certainly amongst the most complex things. And it enables us to be creative. It enables us to distinguish ourselves from other species. And of course, we also have had many conversations over the last year suggesting that humans aren't quite as intelligent as we'd like to think we are. And in fact, it's other species who are more intelligent than us. None of these things hold together but they all seem to somehow capture the zeitgeist of our age. As we know more and more about ourselves, um, perhaps we know less and less about ourselves. My guest today is one of South Korea's uh, most distinguished neuroscientists and academics. He's talking to us from Seoul in North Korea. And he has an important, very intriguing new book out. Uh, Min uh, W. Young uh, has a new book, A Brain for Innovation. The Neuroscience of Imagination and Abstract Thinking. And as I said, he is joining us. Min is joining us from Seoul in South Korea. Uh, Min, is there any truth to that introduction? Is there something rather odd about our age? And on the one hand, we're learning more and more about ourselves. And on the other hand, we know less and less about ourselves. Yeah, I think that's correct. You can say that. Say more, man. You're the you're the neuroscientist. I'm relying on you for explaining all this stuff. All, all I can do uh, is ask the questions. I don't know any of the answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we are witnessing uh, astonishing uh, achievement of uh, neural network AI, uh, like ChatGPT. And uh, but uh, they are different from us. Uh, the way they operate uh, differs quite substantially. And uh, I think we have to understand ourselves better. Uh, it's particularly the brain, how it operates, uh, to uh, harness uh, the development of AI and how to exist together and how to use uh, this new AI technology better. And also we face uh, you know, global problems like uh, climate changes. And we need to understand ourselves better uh, to deal with these problems. Not only technological advances, but we have to organize human resources uh, to you know, deal with these challenges. And I think the uh, one uh, you know, critical uh, thing we need to do is understand ourselves better. Okay, yeah. So yeah, in a general sense, I think you are correct understand ourselves better. Um, you're a neuroscientist, so your business is understanding the brain. You mentioned AI, Min. Yep. Uh, my understanding of the most uh, innovative or the 
the most effective AI systems now are based on a, a Neuralink uh, kind of technology, which in a sense replicates or attempts to replicate the brain. Is there any truth to that? Yes, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, because uh, neural networks uh, loosely uh, model the brain. Not exactly, but loosely. And yeah, uh, in some narrow domains, they surpass uh, human performance already. Uh, and it, the you know uh, uh, interesting thing is that it's uh, progressing very rapidly. Okay, so for the human brains uh, or uh, other animal brains uh, to improve, you gotta go through generations evolution. It takes a long time. Whereas these new technologies, uh, even though uh, they are, you know, far behind in general intelligence, they advance very rapidly. So I can uh, imagine that uh, in the future uh, they incorporate some, you know, brain features more reliably, uh, more correctly, so that they can uh, get closer to general intelligence, uh, general artificial intelligence. Yeah, that that's that's kind of uh, you know you know the something uh, I'm really surprised and also at the same time a little bit afraid you know how fast they can evolve artificially related okay you're a neuroscientist men rather than an expert on ai but it, right so i i i want to talk mostly in this conversation about the brain rather than these mm -hmm. new neural network uh, products platforms initiatives but in your mind could you imagine an ai having imagination and being able to think abstractly is that conceivable in your view yeah yeah absolutely okay so abstraction uh uh as i propose in the book uh probably one reason we are superb in abstract thinking that other animals uh one possible explanation is that because we have many uh you know, layers of neural network compared to other animals. Now, even though brains, you can't really say uh, they have layers like a neural network. Even so, a human brain, many uh, brain regions interconnected compared to other animals. So this artificial neural network, many layers, uh, is a very uh, efficient uh, architecture to extract uh, information from specific examples, that's abstraction, okay? So yeah, obviously these neural networks can form concepts uh, like, uh, you know, categorization, that's abstraction, okay? And what was the first thing you asked about the neural network? Well, the, the question of whether it can have imagination and- uh, Imagination. To, to, to think in an abstract way. The subtitle of your book, A Brain yeah, 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 yeah. is the Neuroscience of Imagination and abstract thinking and the whole point of the book is to suggest that that's yeah yeah i i, I think so our brain from the brains of other species yeah yeah because uh imagination uh you know is like mentally representing like concepts images or possible events that are not present to the sense so neural networks yeah obviously they can generate uh these patterns i i assume yeah
if you define that way, imagination. It's fascinating stuff, uh, Min, and also rather chilling. Um, we are speaking with Min W. Jung, the author of A Brain for Innovation, one of South Korea's leading neuroscientists, an important new book, fascinating new book, uh, A Brain for Innovation, The Neuroscience of Imagination and Abstract Thinking. Um, Min, this is a hard question I know for you to answer, but I'm nonetheless going to answer, ask it. Where are we in terms of our understanding of the brain? Uh, I've asked other neuroscientists who have come on the show, and most of them have suggested that we still are excusing this rather crude metaphor, scratching the surface, that we still don't really <laughs> understand much about it. Do you think that's true? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, <laughs> exactly, scratching the surface. Uh, and uh, yeah, neuroscience, I made a lot of progress. Uh, but uh, still, uh, we understand only uh, you know, we, we understand some principles, how neurons operate, okay? How, when these neurons put together, what kind of computations emerge and what different brain regions do, things like that. But exactly how these uh, simple elements put together, forming complex neural circuitry, they can generate all these complex brain functions. And we don't really quite understand that. And in particular, uh, so-called spontaneous cognition, uh, brain processes for like imagination, creativity, uh, things like that. Uh, we have uh, less understanding than other uh, subjects like uh, sensory processing, motor control. We have a relatively good understanding, but uh, overall, the globally, how different brain parts uh, work together about 100 billion neurons to support these very high complex functions. Yeah. Yeah, I would say scratching the surface is the right terminology to describe our current understanding. 100 billion neurons is, is again, uh, uh, is, uh, uh, I wouldn't say chilling. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an astonishing number. So in your view, men, what, why do some people have more imagination and abstract thinking than others? Why are some people, philosophers or novelists, are able to put together works of great imagination and songs, music, art, literature, philosophy, while others can't? Is there something, is this something that we're, that we're born with in terms of the brains we have? Yeah, I think in biology, it's mostly nature and nurture together, you know. Yeah, some genetics, some people are born with the different brains, but the experiences, you know, you're learning. And but, um, how... Sorry to jump in again, you say nurture versus nature. There have been moments in world history where abstract thinking, for example, has been very marked in certain countries one thinks of 18th or 19th century germany and philosophy why is that yeah i think that's more of a cultural thing uh you know uh, anthropologists uh, can explain 
about you know creativity this abstraction you know, this culture so there's a overall society uh emphasizing uh, some aspects uh yeah i think there's a cultural aspects also influencing how people uh yeah what i say what I, what I propose is that everybody has the innate capability for imagination. Actually, that's what we always do, daydreaming, right? This kind of imagination. But how you harness your this capacity to, you know, what to imagine and how when you have a imagination, how to use that uh, and how to, you know, communicate uh, with other people. And uh, you know how to value uh, the outcomes of imagination. I think cultural aspect is very important for that. So you suggest that daydreaming is 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 a kind of brain play, a manifestation mm -hmm. of imagination and abstract thinking. There are some, I guess, popular anthropological writers like Malcolm Gladwell. I'm sure you're familiar with some of his work, who suggest that. We can train ourselves to daydream. Can we, man? Uh, I'm not sure what uh, he meant by that. Well, but... for example, he might mean that if we spend 10,000 hours when we're young writing or dreaming along certain sorts of lines, we can develop our imagination and our ability to think abstractly. Is there some truth to that? Oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. I, I, yeah, yeah. But what I uh, told you is more biological. We are born to imagine. We are born to, you know, daydream. But uh, by training, we can direct uh, this, uh, our innate capability towards certain directions. Okay, yeah. Min, as I mentioned at the beginning, I've heard from several of our guests that the brain is the most complex thing we know of in the universe. Is there some truth to that? Uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, because uh, it's the only one we know of, the most complex one we know of right now. But, <laughs> but we can imagine something more complex, you know, exist. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I think. Is there something miraculous about the brain? Yeah, I think that our own existence is miraculous. How you know the whole evolution, the outcome of evolution, the diversity of animals, including the human brain. You know, that's I think that's miraculous. You know, there is a what would be the chance? What would be the chance? One in a billion? One in a hundred billion? Uh, <laughs> probably lower than that, I think, you know. Lower than one in a hundred billion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be the chance for, you know, in uh, on the earth, oh, this exactly what this happened so that intelligence has evolved so that we can talk about intelligence itself, okay. Min, you're a neuroscientist, so you focus on intelligence. We've had a lot of other anthropological writers on the show who suggest that humans aren't quite as smart as they think they are. And some fact, some have written books suggesting that we're less smart than other species. We're clearly, all you have to do is spend a few minutes on 
social media or on X or Facebook to know that we're not always very intelligent. Why, given that we all have brains, um, these miracles, as you suggest, why are we capable of such stupidity as well? Yeah, the evolution is a process of adding, uh, you know, things uh, to already existing things. Uh, so our brain is the history of, uh, you know, of our evolution. So we do have, uh, you know, very irrational components, but uh, that's, uh, that made us uh, survive, our ancestors to survive. So we have uh, many different components. We, neuroscience called this uh, so-called multiple behavioral control systems. So we have, uh, for example, like you open up, you know, a fridge, you see delicious cake, and it looks so delicious. You you know you have a craving to eat, but you know that uh, in somewhere in the brain, uh, it suppresses the act of eating because you are on a diet. So there are multiple. Uh, brain systems controlling our behavior, our thought, and which is the history of the evolution. Okay, so we have a uh, rationality and irrationality at the same time. Min, are you suggesting then, and I'm borrowing a term from computer science, the brain is our operating system. It's not just using imagination or abstract thinking. It, it's it's bound up in our ability to discipline ourselves to manage our operation to determine our life is that is that why the brain is so central i mean you 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 suggested i'm quoting you earlier you said our brain is our is is the history of our evolution but there are other people who might suggest it's our it's our arms our sexual parts our feet our soul that's what the religious people would say why is it mm -hmm. our brain I, I I didn't didn't think really I got your question. So what can you repeat? Well, you 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 made the point, and I'm quoting you here. You said our, our brain is the history of our evolution. Yeah. But what what why isn't our why isn't the history of our evolution another part of our body? Why why is the brain oh, this, yeah, 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 this yeah. dominant operational element? What I mean, in, in, yeah, in, I, I'm not saying in that. Yeah. scientific age, we imagine that it was our soul. Freudians might think that it's our, our sexual parts. I mean, it, there's oh, no see, consensus on this, is there? Or, or do we know for sure now that somehow who we are as a species is captured in our brain? Well, uh the brain and our body are all the you know outcome of the evolution i think uh, so it's not only the brain uh, that shapes ourselves it's our body also and our body brain communicates quite a bit but uh, how we feel and how we think uh, it's uh, all in the brain so when we talk about these subjects you know like a soul well, even though scientists don't really talk about soul, soul or feelings, emotion, thinking, consciousness is all in the brain. So we have to talk about the brain. So you're saying that our sense, our religious impulse, everything that 
occurs to us comes through the brain and can be explained by the brain? Yeah, I would say that. Are all neuroscientists in agreement on that? Are there neuroscientists who believe in the idea of a soul? Uh, in scientific community, uh, we don't really talk about soul anymore. But uh, there are religious scientists. Uh, privately, they yeah talk about soul. Is there a compatibility between the neuroscience you're articulating and a brain for innovation and religion? The idea that there could be a god? Well, uh, scientists try to explain uh, things uh, based on, uh, uh, you know, uh, something we know of. Uh, instead of uh, assuming something we can't explain, we try to explain based on what we already know and what we can observe, what we can test. So uh, there are some neuroscientists studying why people tend to believe in God. And why our, you know, in the, they are, their question is why our brains have evolved to believe in God. And then the religion is one defining uh, characteristics of a modern human. Okay, yeah. And we, many people are religious. And that means, uh, according to scientists, our brains are made to believe in God. And why? There's a quite debate on this, and there's uh, many interesting studies, but uh, I won't really go into detail uh, other than saying that, yeah, scientists are. Uh, uh, viewed, uh, I think most scientists view this way. The brains uh, is made to believe in God. So there is a bigger narrative here, at least according to some scientists, that it's yeah. not arbitrary. It's not through chance. That there's some yeah. um, there's some bigger operating system out there that is determining why and how we have brains big operating system. Well, I, I didn't really understand. Well, a big operating system means some, some other force determining this narrative of, of humans and brains. Like God? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, some, some bigger architect. The brain yeah, is not the final it. architect okay. or evolution isn't the final yeah. architect. There's an architect yeah. behind this architecture. Yeah, it's a debate uh, going on all the time, you know, uh, between religious people, especially Christians and uh, many atheist, atheist scientists. But the uh, scientists uh, try to explain, as I said, uh, without assuming something like, uh, you know, uh, uh, or somewhere, <laughs> which you can't really explain. Yeah, scientists try to explain uh, the world, including ourselves, uh, based on what we can observe and what we can uh, measure. So, yeah, I think the scientific community uh, is uh, the, the debate. Uh, we don't really include God. I'm speaking with Min Yong, the author of A Brain for Innovation, one of South Korea's leading neuroscientists. I want to thank the sponsor of our show, uh, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics for bringing us such high quality content, writers, discussion, uh, like Min Young. I'm gonna run a short feature on Liberties and then we'll be back with Min to talk more about 
our brains and how they can help us innovate perhaps ourselves out of all the various crises of the early 21st century. So don't go away, anyone. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Min W. Jung, the author of A Brain for Innovation. He's talking to us from Seoul in South Korea. Min, uh, at the beginning of the show, I talked about these contradictions. On the one hand, we're learning more about ourselves. On the other hand, we seem to know less and less about ourselves. You're suggesting that our, we have this brain for innovation. Uh, it allows us to be imaginative and to think in an abstract way. We need that these days, Min. We seem to be stuck in all sorts of crises in the 2020s, everything from uh, global warming to ethnic hatred to economic inequality to the challenges uh, of ubiquitous technology. Uh, why is it that as we know more and more about our brains, which are supposedly these remarkably sophisticated things, we seem to have bigger and bigger problems on the planet? Well, <laughs> it's a difficult question. Well, uh, yeah, understanding brain is one thing and how we uh, control our behavior is another. Even though you understand your brain, uh, that doesn't really uh, dramatically change the way you behave, uh, yeah. Uh, there is a uh, innate uh, and well it's a multiple components uh, involved uh, but uh, the current world uh, after uh, we are embracing uh, neoliberalism many countries so competition competition everywhere uh, so yeah, all this history, you are asking two big questions. It's a history uh, about human nature. Even though you understand human nature, uh, it is difficult to change the current uh, human behavior, collective behavior. And I think that's why we have to understand human nature better, our brains better, uh, to come up with a way, the best way to uh, change the current course to organize people uh, in a good way to solve the problems we face, yeah. You use this term human nature, Min. Is that the same as talking about the brain? Is, 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 is understanding our brain the same as understanding human nature? Uh, almost, uh, yeah. Well, not, not exactly because our, our brain-body interaction uh, is, uh, there's enormous interactions. Our brain is influenced, influenced by, by our bodies all the time. But uh, eventually it is our brain that determines our behavior, make decisions. You know? Yeah, so you can say that. The subtitle of your book is The Neuroscience of Imagination and Abstract Thinking. Um, the 
M word is missing, morality or ethics. It's not the neuroscience of uh, morality or ethics. Did you choose to leave those out? How, how does our brain determine morality? Um, is there something intrinsic in our brain that leads us to having strong feelings distinguishing uh, good and evil? Yeah, that's another, you know, uh, hot topic in neuroscience, uh, social neuroscience, uh, like altruism, okay? So good versus evil, uh, that's more of a like, uh, you know, use relationship with other people. We don't, you don't really say good versus evil to some like inanimate objects like a rock. It is our relationship with other people, okay? So how, you know, humans have a, a uh, humans are truly uh, the exceptional in that they are truly altruistic. You know, sometimes you help people uh, without no reciprocal feedback. So how uh, is that supported by our brain? Which brain region and how? And uh, how has it evolved? It's a, it's a big topic in your science. And my book doesn't really deal with that. Uh, the scope uh, is well beyond. Uh, it's more of a imagination, abstract thinking combined, so innovation, but morality, uh, yeah, that's a big, you know, very important issue. And I hope uh, I can incorporate this uh, into, you know, my current thinking about the brain. <laughs> I mean, we've had other guests, I think, who would take issue, actually disagree with you and suggest that other species are also capable of good and evil, and certainly capable of altruism. Um, what about other species in imagination and abstract thinking? Do you believe that there are no other species capable of imagining or thinking abstractly, in other words, of daydreaming? Do our dogs, when they sleep on underneath our feet, are they, when they sometimes whimper while they're half asleep, are they in their own way daydreaming, or is, uh, do they not have the brains to be able to do this? Actually, on the contrary, what I propose in the book is that animals uh, do have the capacity for imagination and abstract thinking. And actually, actually what I propose is that uh, imagination capacity would be similar between animals and humans. But the humans have uh, the capacity to use high-level abstract thinking. I think that uh, dissociate humans from other animals for being innovative. And there is a plenty of evidence that animals can imagine and animals can form abstract thinking. So for example, uh, you know, like uh, there have been many behavioral observations suggesting that animals imagine, for example, like uh, baby chimpanzees playing with a log or a rock as though they play with the uh, toy babies. But these are all behavioral observations and you can really ask them whether they are imagining or, you know, yeah, imagining. And there are recent studies, uh, neurophysiologists by sticking electrode uh, in animals like rats, in a way is uh, reading their mind by recording their neural activity. And let me talk about one recent study where scientists used uh, virtual reality and brain machine interface. So had the uh, rats navigate in a virtual environment using their neural activity. So 
these rats uh, had to generate uh, brain activity to navigate in a virtual environment. And I think this is very strong evidence that animals can imagine, okay? And speaking of uh, abstraction, yeah, there's plenty of evidence that animals can, uh, you know, have the abstraction capability. And uh, let's uh, talk about just one uh, study uh, where uh, scientists train uh, resource monkeys to do some arithmetic. Okay, they taught these uh, monkeys uh, to learn symbols which represent numbers and train them to do arithmetic, like counting, addition, subtraction. Yeah, they could do that. And if you think about it, the nature uh, is not random. There are regularities. So animals, by representing these regular regularities, uh, use uh, these representations, which is an abstract uh, notion, to you know improve uh, you know their survival in the environment. Yeah. So so I think that uh, animals are capable of imagination and abstraction, but humans are high-level abstract thinking like uh, gravity, entropy, social justice. I think this uh, uh, made us really innovative. Min, um, you, you and your, your colleagues, your, your neuroscientist colleagues are making great strides, but it doesn't seem uh, in terms of understanding ourselves, our brains, how we behave, human nature, but it doesn't seem as if you're advancing a your advances are filtering down, especially into the political sphere. How would you like some of the research that you and your colleagues are doing to play out in the world itself? So that what we know about ourselves can be implemented perhaps a bit more responsibly. Yeah. So sometimes it's somewhat frustrating, you know, neuroscientists, uh, we are studying like a brain and, you know, uh, understanding how it operates a little by little. But as you said, uh, as we study more, we realize how much we don't know, okay? And we have the, you know, <laughs> in the world uh, crisis, like war, global warming, you know, environment problems and how we should connect these two. Uh, well, uh, I think we have to, you know, make progress little by little. And as we understand more and more about the brain and then psychology, how our minds operate. And I think we have to apply this uh, to, you know, uh, the real world when we uh, try to organize uh, a whole, you know, human effort together, which is the best way. And I don't see very like dramatic, uh, you know, jump from what we know currently, but uh, we have to make a progress little by little. And then there are many people doing many different jobs. So neuroscientists try to understand the brain more, especially like social neuroscience. So gives us insight on how humans uh, behave in relationship with other people in certain situations. 
I think that'll contribute to, uh, to policy implementation, okay? And uh, coming up with a way. So we have to come up with a you know, better technology to deal with the uh, current problems, many environmental problems, global warming. But that's not the only thing we need. We have to come up with a way to better social system to organize humans together. Yeah, even so, we, even though we have like a global warming problems, uh, big problems, yeah, there are wars right now going on, you know. So how to kind of uh, organize a uh, human society better? Uh, yeah, eventually I think <laughs> neuroscience will contribute. I mean, in a sense, is the neuro-networked uh, AI systems that everybody is working on from Microsoft and Google to many other companies in Asia, East Asia and the United States, mm -hmm. are they in a sense an attempt to create artificial brains which can be implemented and used to address the issues, the wars, the global warming, the hatred, the inequality that, that you've been discussing? That's what I hope. Uh, I think uh, like any other technologies, uh, this new powerful artificial neural network is a double-edged sword. Uh, it can be used uh, you know, to solve uh, various problems we face. But on the other hand, uh, you know, it can be uh, used uh, uh, in a bad way. Uh, you know, a lot of problems, a lot of you know, people are worrying about the possibility that this, uh, you know, uh, AI uh, out of control and can be a big problem, right? So, yeah, I think uh, it's like uh, creating a big brain which controls more and more of our society. So, yeah, I, I think it's a double-edged sword. It's one way of describing a brain, Min, a double-edged sword. Um, finally, if there is one thing for you that these kind of artificial brains that we're creating, these AI networks, if there's one thing that you would like them to begin to fix, to address, to solve in the 2020s, what would it be? It's a very tough question because I like to see this AI, uh, you know, well used to solve many problems in many respects. But uh, if you force me to choose one, as a professor teaching biodiversity uh, in college, I'd like to see uh, this technology used to aid uh, preserving biodiversity. It is really painful to see uh, how fast biodi biodiversity decreases. So uh, there are you know, many issues here, but uh, maybe AI can be used to efficiently preserve their habitat and uh, come up with a way to these uh, you know, wild animals and the humans. Uh, there are more and more contacts because of uh, destroy of the habitat. Uh, and uh, maybe AI can come up with a way to better uh, these uh, humans and animals, wild animals live together. 